And uh, that is the last chapter in our book on the first steps for new Christians. Um, I don't need to inform you that these are first steps for new Christians. So uh, there is a lot of stuff in here that you say, oh, man, I wish he'd have said that because that would have been a good point. But this is just the basics. All right. So there's a, uh, what this does is it's kind of a high overview of um, what, it, what it means to be a Christian and so there's a lot of specifics that we will be saved for later uh, discipleship, but, but not in this course. So this is our last chapter, chapter 13, what is a Baptist? And I, I was thinking about this while, we were, while I was studying and while I was going through this again last night. Um, and I also had a conversation with Miss Nancy yesterday, and we were talking. A Baptist is, Baptists are not just another religion, and I think probably every religion would, or every denomination would, would think that. But I even have a hard time saying that a Baptist is a denomination, because, because we are trying to follow the truth of the Word of God. That is what we do. We don't, a denomination is more of a, uh, you know, this is, this is what we've always done, this is our traditions, this is... Uh, this is our politics, our church uh, politics, and all the rest of that. Uh, but I guess Baptists would be a denomination, just as an easy definition. But uh, what does it mean to be a Baptist? And I think often, especially independent fundamental Baptists, get a bad name. And Pastor did a whole series on this. What does it mean to be fundamental? It doesn't mean to be radical. It means stick with the basics of the Bible, the fundamentals of the Bible. And the example he used was... Basketball. If a coach says, we're going to stick with the fundamentals, he's not a radical. He's saying, learn how to dribble, learn how to shoot, learn how to pass. Those are the fundamentals. Um, and so that's, that's what an independent, fundamental Baptist is. And what is the independent part? Well, independent is the difference between, like, the Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists have a corporate hierarchy that they have to follow. An independent Baptist doesn't, and that does two things. Uh, it requires... Uh, that, a, that a, a pastor of an independent Baptist church is very careful because he doesn't answer per se to anybody above him other than Jesus Christ. Uh, but what it also does is gives that pastor freedom to preach what he believes God is, is calling him to preach. So it's a very good thing, uh, but it can be dangerous, and that's what we see in some independent Baptist churches where they become the king of this organization and you do not cross this man. Well, that's not what it's supposed to be. Um, so it can be dangerous, but if a pastor is truly trying to follow the Lord and, and do what he believes God is, at, is telling him to do in, in leading his church, it's a very safe thing. Um, and it takes a lot of humility on, on both parts. The pastor has to be humble in, in, um, because he does have a lot of authority, but he has to be humble in following God. And it takes a lot of humility on the people's part to be allowed to be led, um, you know, you're, we're all, you know, us men, we lead our families. We don't have to listen to anybody. So it takes humility to listen to a pastor who is trying to lead uh, the church in the right way. So anyways, it was a good segue into what he was talking about, because what is a Baptist uh, is, is so different from what most churches are doing now. And most churches now, as he said, it's just a, it's just a, another club, um, they're not trying to follow God's word. They're trying to see what do the people want, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, so we're going to get right into this. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into right, right into what is a Baptist, and we have a, 
an acrostic of uh, the, the letters of the word Baptist. And I'm sure you all have heard this before, but we're going to look a little bit into that this morning. So let's pray and we'll get, get right into it. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us, God. Even, even with the cold weather, God, the sun is shining and, and uh, we just thank you for it. God, thank you that you are in control uh, of this universe, of this world, and of our lives. And I pray that we would give you the control that you want to have, God, that we'd surrender our lives. And uh, God, those of us that are in this church, this is where you've called us to. And so I pray that we would surrender to the leadership that you've called us to be under. And uh, God, that's a, that's a heavy responsibility on our pastor. So I pray that he would uh, just surrender to, to your leadership as well, and that he would lead this church exactly the way that you'd have him to and that we would be good followers of, of your man that you've placed over us. And I pray that you'd help us as we lead our families uh, in this wicked world, God, that we would uh, just have wisdom, have understanding, and, uh, and know what it, the best way to, to raise our kids to grow up and live for you, to love you, and to serve you with their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, he starts with this. The word Baptist was first used in English literature in 1644. The name was not chosen by themselves, but by their opponents. And this brings automatically to, to mind, what does he say? The word Christian was first used in Antioch, right? And it was, I don't think it was a good thing. I think they were mocking the, the Christians, your little Christs. Look, they run around look at, trying to act like Christ, but they actually embraced it and said, you know what? That's a good point. We are trying to be like Christ. And they embraced the name Christian, but it's the same way with Baptist. They were originally, you'll see this, they were commonly called Anabaptists. Does anybody know what Anabaptist meant? Do you know what that meant? They were against baptizing infants, so what did the Anna mean? Again, yeah, it was re-baptizers. They were calling them re-baptizers in a definitely a derogatory way. Why are you baptizing them again? Our baptism wasn't good enough uh, in the Catholic Church or whatever else, and so... Anabaptist meant re-baptizer, and it, and it says this here, uh, because they refused to baptize infants, uh, but I think he says uh, this was not a popular, this was not a, a good term they were, but anyways, it wasn't. It was a bad term. They were being mocked, is what they were being. And it was a way to categorize them also, because you had all these Protestants, <clears throat> and we'll talk about this in a second, Baptists are not Protestants, um, even though we're often grouped into that. Um, but these Protestants were all baptizing infants as well. They, they had come out of the Catholic Church, and even though they tried to change some of the things, more politics than anything, of the Catholic Church, they, did not, they believed that infant baptism was still fine. That was what was needed. And so here come these Anabaptists, or these Waldensians, or whatever name they went by in history. Um, <clears throat> at this point, now they are Anabaptists, and they say, all right, you've... you've been saved, you're part of our church, we need to baptize you again. And these Protestant denominations were saying, why? And, and really, every Protestant denomination persecuted the Baptists uh, all down through history. And the reason was, mostly, it was because of this baptism. And now you do have, uh, not to get on a rabbit trail, but you do have um, some, some hyper-dispensationalists, is what they are, that believe baptism is not important for us today. They believe that the, the Jews in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, while Christ was still here on this earth, were saved through baptism. And so baptism was for the Jews, not for us. And so then they say, 
uh, that we should not be baptizing. Not that you can't, but you don't need to baptize. It's not something that we need to be doing or really should be doing. And my question then would be, you know, I mean, all through history, why was it such a point of contention if it's not important? Why would these Protestant denominations kill Christians, not just persecute them, kill them because of baptism? It's a very important point. And, it's a, um, and I had a conversation with a man, and I won't say his name, and, I, and hopefully he, he may be even listening. But here's the, here's the thing with this hyper-dispensationalism is their big point is we shouldn't be doing the Lord's Supper or baptism because that was for the Jews. So my question would be, if you are doing that, if, if like us, we're baptizing and we do the Lord's Supper, what, is the, what are the consequences of doing that? What is the bad side of us doing that, even in error? I don't think there's any, because we're baptizing correctly, and we're taking the Lord's Supper exactly as he commanded us to do it. So what are, the, what are the downsides of it? I don't think there are any. But what if you're on the other side, and you're not baptizing, and you're not uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper? What are the, what are the downsides of that? You're teaching Christians to not obey the first step that Christ told them to do. If you're not obeying the Holy Spirit, is he going to continue to lead you? Is he going to lead you in the next step if you didn't take the first one? So I think there's huge consequences if you're wrong on, on that side. Not that this, is, this lesson is about that. But I think that's why, you know, hyperdispensationalism, I think when I was, when I was in college and things, I, we would get to talking, and, I, and at the end of the day, I'd go, I mean, what does it really matter? But I think it does matter uh, that... You know, if, if we're teaching people not to obey the first commands after you're saved, because I don't think we need to be doing that, it's, it's got some pretty heavy repercussions for not following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's not what this lesson is about either. All right. Baptists are not Protestants, he says. Baptists did not come out of the Protestant Reformation or the Reformation movement. They came through it. And that is a very important key, uh, as, he, as he explains. Those denominations who trace their roots to the Reformation are considered Protestant because they were a part of the protest movement. Protesting against what? The Catholic Church. They were protesting the Catholic Church. Uh, so uh, they were part of the protest movement against the Roman Catholic institution as members. Baptists were never out of or a part of the Roman Catholic religion. And that may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. Uh, we're not a Protestant even though 100, 100 times out of 100, if it's in the media or anything else, we would be considered Protestants. But we would not consider ourselves Protestants because we didn't come out of the Roman Catholic Church. And, and remember, we're, we're saying, what is a Baptist today? That's, that's what we're learning. So it's important to make that distinction. Baptist churches then have eight primary teachings from the Bible that set them apart from other churches or denominations. And, and then he says these teachings are listed below in an acrostic of Baptists. So we're going to look at that this morning. Now, a couple important terms, and I think probably the most important one that we hear often but maybe don't know what it is, is ordinance. Uh, what is that? It's a biblical practice exercised in the local church, all right? And there are other churches that have more than two. Uh, we believe, if you're looking at the Bible as, and following it as closely as you can, there's really only those two. Um, and so then the Lord's table symbolizes Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and it is a time of remembrance for believers. Remembrance, and I would say reflection on how, the way we're living our lives. Uh, if, if you're not living a, according to the Bible, you're not, uh, your relationship is not right with God, it is a great time for reflection and getting those things right so that you can take part in the Lord's Supper. 
And then the last thing is the office. Uh, the definition of office is a position of authority within the church. And that is not, um, that is not say, like a Sunday school teacher. That's not an office in the church. It is a position of leadership, but that's not what he's talking about. And you'll see that here in just a minute. There are two offices in the Bible that are very specifically spelled out uh, for the local church. And so these are very specific, not, not uh, exclusive to Baptists. A lot of churches also believe these things, but not all of them. Uh, they would believe, uh, agree with some of them. Uh, but these are all specific, or all uh, Baptist churches, real Baptist churches, would believe these key Bible truths that he's going to say. So the first one is B, Bible authority in all matters of faith and practice. And if you've ever been to a church where, you know, they're, they're doing something basic, based 100% on a tradition that they've always done, uh, it's very, very difficult to get them to back off of that or to, to explain why they do it, which makes it easy for us. Um, Pastor did a whole series, I, I don't know, it was probably 18 months long, intermittent uh, about what I believe and why and he went straight went to the Bible on every one of those topics and said this is why we why he even said this is why I believe it I'm not telling you you have to believe it but I want you to believe it and here's why uh, and so everything we believe comes from the Bible and we should be able to point that out we should be able to find it and the goal through that series was to help us also to teach our kids uh, if you grew up in a Baptist church, I did, uh, there are things that we do that you have no idea why. It's, we believe it's, I believed it was the right thing to do. Yeah, that's the rules, but why? And that was what that series was about. And you can go back on our, our live stream on our YouTube and find those. Uh, they were probably, I don't know, 18 months ago was the last one and, and going back from there. But it was what I believe and why, so that our children... Because what happens in, in a lot of Baptist churches is, is there is no room for uh, there's no room for arguing with your parents, you know, and I and I think that's fine. But when a kid asks why do we do that, it's that's rebellion. But I don't think it necessarily is. You need to teach your kids why we do things, because what's going to happen if they don't understand? It doesn't make sense. They don't necessarily agree with it, but they do it. What happens when they turn 18? They stop doing it, and. One of those things may be, why do we go to Sunday night church? Or why do we go to Wednesday night church? It may be as important as that. It, it may be something uh, much simpler than that, that they don't understand why we do it, and, and it seems silly to them, so we explain that to them. Now, um, we, would, we, I believe, at least in my home, do what we do, we do it because I believe it. I don't do it because the church said I have to. I do it because I believe it. And so then obviously the goal would be that your children would believe it after you. But as we'll see here in a little bit, we do have some liberty, uh, especially on traditional things. Um, and pastor's going to, I'll tell you this now, because I'm probably not going to have time at the end. Next two weeks, I think, maybe three, pastor is going to do a, a very mini series on uh, standards and convictions. He did this, a long series on it, a few I don't know, six months or a year ago, time flies, probably a year ago, he finished. But he's going to do a very mini-series on standards convictions, uh, why basically we do some of the things that we do. Um, and so I won't get into that, but it's, it is much more um, uh, standards that we have based on convictions that we hold, and he's going to talk about that 
uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So Bible authority in all matters of faith and practice. And here's where we're at, John 17 and verse 17. And we read this verse uh, last week or the week before, but it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does sanctify mean? Does anybody remember from our key terms? Set apart. So set them apart through, the, through thy truth. Okay? What truth? He explains it. Your word is truth. So set them apart by studying and reading your word. Therefore, the Bible must have the authority in our lives. Um, if we're doing something that we've always done and you read in your Bible, we're not supposed to be doing that. You need to change that. Why? Because the Bible is the authority, not my pastor. He's not the authority. He's preaching the authority because he's preaching the word of God. But where even where a pastor comes outside of that authority, the Bible has the authority in our lives. And I wrote this. In faith and practice, it's, just, it's not just what we preach and say we believe, it's also what we do daily in our lives. Uh, the way we live, even when no one else is doing it or no one else sees us doing it, it is our faith and practice. Now, I think he's specifically talking about our practice in the church here, but it's also for our lives. You know, if, if, if and I know people like this, they say one thing, or they go to a church that would believe one thing, and you see them out and about doing something completely different, the Bible's not the authority in their lives for faith and practice. And so, you know, the, what's the distinction between faith and practice? Faith is what I say I believe, and what I, I hopefully do believe. Practice is what I do uh, about what I say I believe. So sanctify them, set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And, uh, I wrote this down too, and, and you probably, if you're on Instagram or Facebook or any of those things, I'm sure you've heard this phrase. I wrote this as a side note. This goes directly against the contemporary philosophy of find your truth. Have you ever heard that? Find your truth. There are some people that I, that I know very closely that they're teaching this. Find your truth. It's not your truth. There is truth and there is error, and you are not the final authority. So find the truth and you're going to be set. But find your truth, that's saying follow your heart. And what does the Bible say about your heart? Don't trust it. It's desperately wicked. And then he says at the very end, who can know it? You don't even know your own heart. So don't follow your heart. Don't find your own truth. Sanctify them through his truth. His word is truth. Find what the Bible says about all that we do in faith and practice and follow that. And you can't go wrong. Um, which is also why it's very important that you sit under a local church pastor. Um, the Bible does not say that an internet teacher is the pillar and ground of the truth. What does he say is the pillar and ground of truth? The church. So it's very important to be in a church. And why is it so important? Because if you come up, it is a command, but if you come up with some weird doctrine in your Bible study and you go, man, I've never seen that before, and you bring it to your pastor and he goes, that's not what that means. Okay, you're right back on track. But if you're watching some teacher on the internet and he's telling you, yeah, this is a doctrine that nobody's teaching, and you get off on it and now you're down this rabbit trail, next thing you know, you have no accountability. You're not in a church, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's where God reveals his truth in, uh, in his pulpits and in, in, in his, his men. So the Bible authority in all matters of faith and practice, that's B. A, autonomy 
or self-governing power of the local church. It's a self-governing body. Uh, and he says this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. You have it in your book. Uh, there's a few blanks there, but you can, you can just read it there for, for sake of time. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then in all things he might have the preeminence. I think that's an interesting phrase, the firstborn from the dead. He was the first one raised from the dead. That never died again, right? Because was Lazarus raised before? From the dead before Jesus Christ was? Yeah. So he's saying the firstborn from the dead that didn't die again. And that's going to be us one day. We're going to be raised from the dead and not die again. But Jesus Christ was the firstborn. The first one, firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. And I wrote this in a, as a side note uh, because you do come across Southern Baptists. And I'm not, knocking, I'm not knocking any denomination. I'm telling you the differences between them. Even a Southern Baptist church has a hierarchy, a corporate hierarchy that they must follow, uh, which, why is that bad? Well, it's dangerous. I wouldn't necessarily say it's bad, but it's dangerous. And, and the reason is uh, you may have some, for lack of a better term, it's very similar to a corporation where a, a supervisor wants to do this and somebody above him says, you're not doing that. All right, so how does a pastor have authority as God's man, to lead his church the way he believes God wants him to lead if there's somebody above him who's not part of that church that says, no, nah, you ain't doing that. Or, no, we're not giving you money to do that. Money, money is, is very powerful, and, it, and it, it can move a church one way or another. And if a, if a corporation is, is giving those funds, then a pastor has to follow that because he doesn't have the funds to do it. And, and so you may have an independent Baptist church that struggles along financially but when God leads the pastor, hey, we want, I want you to start this ministry. Whether the funds are there or not, he starts that ministry because God is leading in that direction. So it's very important that the, that the church is, uh, is independent. That's what we are. It's autonomous. It's self-governing. Um, but it's also, like I said at the very beginning, it's also uh, important that egos don't take over, especially from a pastor, or uh, man worship doesn't start happening from the people. Uh, it's, it, it, can, it can be dangerous if it's not kept in check and, and watched carefully. So that's autonomy. B-A. Now we're on P. Priesthood of each believer. And what does priesthood mean? Well, if you think about it, in the Old Testament, what did the people, who did the people go to to have their sacrifices done and their sins taken care of? The priest. They went to the priest, and he did the sacrifices. That was his job. It wasn't inaccurate. That's what they were supposed to do. That's what they were commanded to do. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and we'll see this here in Hebrews chapter 4. In fact, turn there because it's a, long, a longer passage. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Priesthood of the believer, and he says this in the title. It means direct access to God. Why can I go uh, before God in prayer and he hears me? Because we have this priesthood of the believer, the direct access to God. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, he is the great high priest. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Because of that, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. But First Peter, the, the next verse is, is even more clear. He says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Who was he talking to? The Levites here? You are a, 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 a holy priesthood? He was talking to believers. You are now a holy priesthood. You are a priest in your home. So you offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. How? By Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice. That's how we have direct access to God, through Jesus Christ. Very, very clear here in that. But he says this at the, at the very top of the page. Every believer, and I underlined every, because... A brand new Christian, let me just give you an example. A brand new Christian coming out of the Catholic Church, what are they used to? Ritual, Ritual, but how do they get their sins taken care of? They go to the priest and they confess it to a man. And then that man is supposed to go to God with their sins, right? Whether he actually does that when they leave or not is probably not the case, but that's the the progression. Every believer has equal and instant access to God. And we have so many verses about prayer that tell us this. Pray without ceasing. How can I do that if I have to go to a man? How could this whole church do that if we all had to go to a man? We can't all be in prayer constantly if this guy has to uh, take care of that for us. We have equal and instant access to God. And this means that each believer is his own priest and has direct access to God's truth and God's will for his life. Very, very important uh, truth in the life of a Christian. I have direct access to God and direct access to the one who's going to tell me what his will is for my life. I don't have to go to a priest who says, I think this is what God wants you to do. He tells me that. Uh, so very important, the priesthood of the believer. And these are, these are very, uh, like I said, they're not exclusive to Baptists, but all of these as a whole are pretty exclusive to Baptists. Not a, not, there's not another denomination that believes all of these. Two offices within the church. That's the T. And we're going to move quickly here. We're almost done. The church has two offices of leadership, pastors and deacons. And I think this, little, this paragraph is very important. He's got some important stuff in here that I've underlined and circled. Scripture refers to the office of a pastor with terms such as elder, bishop, and pastor. So you'll have other denominations that have elders and bishops and a pastor. Uh, but I think they're interchangeable in, in the New Testament uh, as the pastor of a church. And I think uh, we would agree on that. And if you do any kind of Bible study, you'll come to that same, same conclusion. It is the responsibility of the pastor to serve. How? He's to serve the church by leading, teaching, and overseeing. And I heard a, a message a guy was preaching. I can't even remember who it was. But he said, you know, some pastors, all you do is teach. And the Bible tells you you're supposed to be preaching, and there's a difference, and I think there really is. But the Bible also says that a pastor is supposed to be apt to teach. So he should be able to and willing to teach, not just scream at people the whole time he's, he's preaching. He needs to teach them what the Bible says. Um, so he needs to serve by leading, teaching, and overseeing. And the second, the second office is, anybody know? Deacons, pastors and deacons, Okay. <laughs> And I think deacons often way overstep their bounds in their, in their uh, interpretation of their leadership. But the, the deacons are to serve the church family through assisting with care and provision of special needs. And if you look at what a deacon is, was, what the office was made for, it was, they were servants. Okay? What are deacons often 
in a church now. They run the church. And a pastor, uh, you know, they, the pastor cowers behind it. The deacon said I couldn't. The deacon said I couldn't do it. That's not what a deacon is supposed to be. Um, a deacon can't. I wrote this in my book, and I think uh, if you're teaching a brand new Christian, this is not something to get super deep into, but it's important for us to know. The deacons assist when needed with some decisions, uh, with some decision-making in conjunction with the pastor, but they do not run the church. The pastor is, the, the, God put a pastor as the leader of that church, and the deacons do not run the church. And I, I, I've seen it, I haven't been in other churches, but I've heard about it so many times. I've been in churches on vacation where the pastor gets up and says, the deacons, the deacons decided we're not going to do this. And that's not biblical. So, um, according to the Bible, it's not, it's not the right way to do it. And the first one we had was B, right? Biblical authority in all matters of faith and practice. If you'd go to the Bible and look at what the office of a deacon is, the deacons would easily be put in check if they're humble enough to be put in check. All right, so I, and then I wrote this. Most pastors are scared to death of the deacon board, and that is not biblical. Uh, deacon is a position of leadership, but not of lording over God's man. And I think that's a very important distinction. The deacons are in a position of leadership, which is why they have almost the exact same qualifications as the pastor. What, what do you have to be to be a deacon? It's almost exactly the same as a pastor. So it's very, a very important position, but it is not the position of authority over the pastor. All right, so I, individual soul liberty. And what does this mean? Uh, and he uses the verse, Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But what is individual soul liberty? It means that each person is responsible for his soul. Okay? And he says that every man and woman must choose personally, personally to come to Christ for salvation. No one, including your pastor, a priest, no one can intervene or make that decision for you. Um, and Nitten's watching, I know that, and, and I, I don't think he'd have any problem with me saying this, but when he was 18 years old in his church, they put him through a class, baptized him, and said, you are a Christian. That's, you have to make that decision, Okay. Uh, so that's individual soul liberty. We must accept Christ as our Savior for ourselves, which is why it is very important if you have a five- or six-year-old uh, child that comes to you who's been hearing about Jesus dying on the cross for them in Sunday school for over and over and over for the last two or three years, comes to you and says, hey, I need to be saved. I'm not saying they can't or shouldn't, but you have to be very careful that it's not just because that's what they're being told they need to do. It's something that we must come to a decision personally. And um, so I, all I'm saying there is with kids, it's even that much more important that they understand what they're doing um, than it is for an adult. And I, an adult has to understand too. But if an adult comes to you and says, man, I heard the message and I need to be saved, uh, we just have to be more careful with our kids because to make sure it's not something they're doing to please you as, a, as opposed to actually accepting Christ as their savior. S, separation of church and state. And, you know, this is built into our Bill of Rights and all the rest of that, but why? Because uh, Baptists 100% believe this, and this comes from Matthew chapter 22. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. But what did the apostles say when they were brought before uh, the, the leaders and said, you, you're going to stop preaching? What did they say? We have to obey God rather than men. So I'm sorry but I have to obey God. That's where this, this 
idea comes from separation of church and state. The state should have no power to intervene in the free expression of religious liberty, which is why during COVID you saw Baptist pastors and some that weren't even Baptist, but Baptist pastors stand up and say, you're not telling us to shut our doors. You don't have that authority because of the separation of church and state. So that's something Baptists uh, also believe. Uh, T, two ordinances. What's the two ordinances without looking? Baptism in the Lord's Supper. And like I said, this is not a, a, a lesson on baptism or the Lord's Supper. Uh, we've already talked about both of those, but those are the two ordinances that a Baptist church believes. Those are, those are things that are given to us by God. And what, are the, what is the definition of ordinance? A biblical practice exercised in the local church. Why do we not do uh, 10 ordinances that we've always, we've always done it? Because they're not in the Bible, okay? So we're following what God gave us in the Bible that we need to be doing as a church. And when we talked about baptism, remember, baptism is just as important uh, that a local church, um, what's the word I'm looking for, administers that baptism as a person that comes and says, I need to be baptized. Because, uh, as we'll see lastly, uh, saved membership, and these two kind of go together with what I'm talking about, is because if you come to your pastor and say, hey, I'd like to be baptized, that's a great thing. Good, you're, you're making a step of obedience. And he says, now, because what do we do to, be, uh, uh, to become a member? You're saved, and then you're baptized. It doesn't have to be baptized in our church, but, our, but the pastor is going to say, what church did you get baptized in? Oh, it was this Baptist church down the road. Okay, I know that guy. He believes the same way we do. A church of like faith and practice is what we say. But um, if you say, well, I was baptized as a kid in the Catholic church, he's going to say, Anabaptists, well, you need, to be re you need to be baptized because you just got wet. You didn't get baptized after salvation. So that's saved, saved membership. Why is saved membership so important? And this is what we had in the early days of America, and I'm going to hurry up and close, is... They called it the, the, the um, I, I, I can't remember what it was called, the something covenant. But you, you, had to, you had to have a family member that was in that church as a member, and then you could become a member. didn't matter if you were saved, baptized, it didn't matter. And so what happened with all of these churches is they became very, very worldly and very corrupt very quickly because you had members voting, that were not saved, they weren't baptized, they weren't even trying to follow the Bible, but they still had all the authority that a, that a saved, baptized member of the church had, and the churches became corrupt very, very quickly. So <clears throat> back to baptism, the, the local church has just as much authority to baptize you as you have to get baptized is because if you come to the pastor and say, yeah, I want to get baptized, and your testimony of salvation is, yeah, I was laying on my bed, and I saw this blinding light come through my window, and, uh, and it was God saying, go get baptized. He's going to say, you don't understand salvation. Let's talk about salvation, and then we'll think about getting baptized. Well, so the church has just as much authority in the baptism process as the person who wants to be baptized. But, but it is an ordinance that we, that we believe is in the Bible that we need to be doing, baptism in the Lord's Supper. And then lastly, like I said, saved membership only. We do not place infants on our membership list. Each member, regardless of age, must give a testimony of salvation or his conversion experience. And if you come to the pastor and say, hey, we'd like to become members, he's going to have a meeting with you and say, tell me about your salvation experience. 
And it's not him. It is him judging you. <laughs> it's him judging your, your salvation testimony. Well, it's, it's, it's are you even saved? And if you say, for example, like, like Nitten did when he was in our church, yeah, at 18, they put me through a class, we got baptized, so that's my salvation. It, that's not salvation. And, the, and so the pastor, it's a very good opportunity for the pastor to explain salvation to you, to give you the gospel, and to get saved, to really get saved. If somebody wants to be a member, most likely they want to do what's right. They're, they're wanting to do what's right. They just don't understand it, which is the danger of all of these churches now not teaching the truth is people are so confused when they finally come to a church that is preaching the truth that they almost need to be retaught on, on many things. Um, obviously, the most important being salvation, um, but, but others also. So that, there we have it, Baptists, biblical authority in all matters of faith and practice, autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believers, Two offices in the church, individual soul liberty, separation of church and state, two ordinances, and saved membership only. And there's, we could do a deep dive into that, and Pastor has already. We did a whole uh, series. I think we took one, one letter each message and talked about it, and you can go find those. But that's first steps for a new Christian. What is a Baptist? Um, if you're going to join this church or become a part of this church, this is what we believe, and um, and we hold to it very strongly. So those, that's our lesson. Next week, Pastor is going to talk about, um, uh, is going to get into a very small series on standards and convictions, what they are, not necessarily what all of our standards are, but why do we have them? What's the difference between a standard and a conviction? How do we hold to these standards so that we don't cross the line and, 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 and break our convictions? what we actually, so anyways, he's going to do a series on that starting next week, I believe. Uh, hopefully I'm not talking out of turn, but it's not going to be me. So one way or another, somebody else is going to be doing it, but I think it's him. So let's pray and then uh, hold on to these books. Don't pack them away or throw them in the trash. When you uh, go to disciple somebody that you've seen saved, this is, this is what you're going to use for starters. And if they go through 13 weeks with you, they're pretty serious. Now it's time to get another discipleship book and really uh, disciple them. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you again for this day you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to go through this. God, I pray that if there's any in here that some of this was new, that they would study it out and, and uh, come to someone who has already uh, has been a Christian for some time and learn uh, what it means and, and some of these things, maybe be discipled themselves better. But I pray more than anything that we would be disciplers uh, of those that get saved, that we would be willing and ready to teach them uh, so that they can follow you as best uh, as, as we know how that the Bible tells us. Pray that you bless this next hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.